You are now listening to Out of the Blank. So what's life been like, Whitney, since this whole, I mean, we haven't talked in what, like a year and a half now. I mean, last time we we're talking about rice, different ways of, you know, developing it, the innovations that are going on in the industry has industry I, obviously been affected since the pandemic, right? Like, how is it going with all that now? Um, I mean, the rice industry hasn't maybe been uh, affected quite as much as other industries. We don't have a lot of labor um, comparatively. So uh, in regards to like, you know, using or having people available for labor in the fields, it hasn't been quite as bad. Um, but for like me personally, uh, it's been it's been more difficult because we use a lot of labor in research, and it's been it's been a little bit harder to navigate around some of the restrictions and just people you know availabilities and people have kids and things like this. So it's been it's been a difficult year. <laughs> Has there been any like uh, strong innovations or changes? Like let's say your research, for instance, what exactly are you on with uh, the research recently? Um, so recently, I mean, I'm primarily a weed scientist. So a lot of my research is, is related to weeds still and rice. That's primarily what I do. Okay. So, so nothing, nothing like, I mean, there's lots of stuff, but it's, uh, uh, I don't know. It's, I don't know how interesting it is to everyone. <laughs> it's got to be interesting. I mean, people want to know where their food comes from at the same time. Like I just started eating rice. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like maybe a month ago, I never like just maybe Chinese food when I did takeout or something, but I just started making my own rice. Um, First of all, when you're making a 90 second bag in the microwave, you want to make sure you have it open first. I learned that the hard way. Um, Exploded in my microwave. Yeah. Scared the crap out of me, but um, it, man, it's a sustainable food. It's really good. I understand why people can actually really love it. It, um spicing it up especially but also like it's something where it might seem like a lot of people talk about oh it's just blank calories or it's just this and i'm like yeah but it also is a good way of staying alive and you know it's a very sustainable food i mean trying to find i think the particular problem will be growing that in places where you can't grow rice trying to find a, like plant hybrids for instance finding a way to edit the gene code or something that to be able to grow in a harsh environment i mean especially nowadays with technology we're more focused on growing things on mars rather than we're focused on growing things in countries that can't grow those things true and, and i mean i think like from um from the standpoint of you know changing climate water availability on those sorts of things i mean rice is just as affected as all of our other crops so it'll be you know in california where it looks like we're headed into a drought again so we're you know expecting some uh issues with water this year uh but that's it's not really a new thing it's been you know increasing i guess in frequency over the past 10 to 15 years where we have a, a lot of years now that we have uh, not as much water as we should have. <laughs> what do you, um, what would you say you think like maybe like the next couple of months or maybe like looking for maybe 10 years, for instance, what do you think like advances or things that we could be working on to make it more sustainable or easier on you, I would say for your job as well. Cause like I'm a big proprietor of farmers, for instance, like I think everyone should know where their food comes from. Like before you eat a plate of chicken, I think you should see where, it, what it happens to a chicken that gets you that plate of chicken. Um, mostly because the waste, there's so much waste that's going on. A lot of people aren't paying attention. Not only environmentally when it comes to us using cars and all these types of things but more like a food production issue we're making a lot of food but it's not all being used we're kind of throwing most of that away and it's very very wasteful considering that amount of production it takes the amount of work it takes to be able to produce something like that yeah actually you, you bring up a good point i i'm teaching this semester um and i was actually just talking to my students about this like about two weeks ago um about food waste and like where most food waste happens in western countries in the us and stuff and it's mostly in people's homes <laughs> or at the you know at the store or restaurant level so you know farmers have been or you know be, been becoming more and more uh, efficient but people in their own houses and, and restaurants and things for a variety of reasons we waste a lot of food so you're not wrong and like actually with my students we were talking about it in the context of um you know, where does it go once it leaves your house? 
goes into landfills and landfills produce certain gases, including methane. And that's a you know potent greenhouse, greenhouse gas. So we were kind of talking through the whole uh, you know, process of, yeah, where does food go? Where does food waste go? Where are we wasting it? And like thinking about that sort of as a, you know, an entire cycle um, and how can each one of us try to reduce the amount of food we're wasting in our own homes. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of a lot of people waste a lot of food because, um, you know, I think food is relatively cheap in the United States compared to other places, and so we don't always think about it as, uh, you know, I think an expense. <laughs> Actually, to be honest with you, a lot of people don't think of it as like a, a significant part of their budget, and therefore, it's easy to to waste food, well, we've, especially fruits and vegetables. Yeah, we've created struggle. I would say, like back in the day, people used to try and their hardest to get food. Now we're doing fasting diets where we're literally creating struggle. We're forcing starvation just to lose a couple of lbs. And I'm like, this is what shows you that we might be too comfortable as a society. I feel like a lot of our focus goes into, you know, oh, who's going to be the next celebrity that we see on the tabloids, or who's the next movie that's coming out? I'm like, shit, man. Like we have things that we could be fixing. Like. I had talked to a friend of mine, uh, John Goodwin, who's a beekeeper, and he was trying to find a way to make his bees be able to help grow crops, for instance, be able to like, you know, not really control them, but breed them enough to where they could have a set mentality of spreading, you know, pollination kind of an ideal thing. Because I'm like, there's got to be a a workaround here. Like we're all on this planet together. And that's not out of coincidence. That's got to be like, there's got to be workarounds that we could find better ways to work with each other rather than be one person be a superior and one person not you know what i mean and it's like if you look at environmental issues for instance i know people are working in the realms of mycology people are working the realms of botany all these types of things everyone has a fucking house plant i'm like can can we focus on like actually taking care of the outside like i think everyone during this pandemic had a little bit of time to get into a couple of hobbies and some of that might involve sourdough bread but at the same time people decided to make a little garden outside and figure out what it's like to grow something and the feeling that you get when you actually have a plant that you can pick your own tomato off of and i'm not even with tomato grow rice first of all rice if I'm not mistaken, is not too hard to grow. It's actually a pretty tough plant. Well, it is. It, I mean, I, I say like it is kind of hard to grow. <laughs> it doesn't grow well everywhere. So it doesn't do super well in like colder environments. Um, but, it, you know, and it doesn't actually need like a ton of water. It doesn't need to be flooded to grow. So you're right in that. It does, it's not that hard to grow maybe in the grand scheme of things. But like one rice plant isn't going to produce enough rice for somebody to really eat a lot of you really need a pretty large area and so maybe in that regard it's a little bit harder than like say a tomato or something what would you say like if you had to pick like what's a goal that you're trying to accomplish maybe in the next year because i mean it's been a year since we talked what 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 have you done in that year um so a lot of my work again focuses on um you know weed management and rice here in california um but i mean and i'm constantly doing other things a lot of my job is outreach with growers uh, talking to people um, individually. So, I mean, that's one of the most important things, though, because I feel like a lot of the big issues is people are making legislature or making agricultural laws or certain guidelines they have to go by, but they're not even involved in the industry. I'm like, you got to talk to a man on the ground. You got to, or a woman on the ground. You got to talk to someone who's involved and who's talk like that's an important thing. Much like for me, for instance, I'm talking to a bunch of different people every single day. You're talking to people that are involved in the industry that are hands down dealing with everything that happens to do with growing these crops. And they have the best insight into it rather than some person that's sitting in an office cubicle, you know, typing up, oh, I can Google what rice is. Sure. But have you talked to someone about like, what do they go through on a daily basis? The amount of work and the amount of effort that goes through that? I mean, first of all, it's backbreaking work. I wouldn't do it. Um, mostly because I didn't even know you had to open up the bag first before you threw it in the microwave. Uh, but it's an aspect of like people, especially with the consumption in the world. It's not just the consumption of like television or entertainment. That's our priority as most of the population's priority is what's going to be on television, WandaVision, whatever. But what about where your food comes from? We're so looking at our diets. So exclusively now you know trying to find oh the adkins diet or whatever this or a new diet trend or fasting whatever but what about your food the fda regulates this stuff for us but like 
what are you what are you actually putting into your body? Where is it coming from? Don't you want to know the people that are handling your food and taking care of it and putting all the backbreaking effort into it? Yeah, and actually, that's one of the things I think that's uh, improved this year with the pandemic because a lot of uh, market venues, market avenues, kind of broke down. We all saw that happen last spring. Um, you know, people saw you know milk being dumped and stuff, and all that was because the normal you know, these channels of how we ship and process food are very tight, and very regulated in the US. So when one thing like breaks down, like the end, end buyer isn't there anymore, then suddenly, you know, there's no way for us to like switch up those supply chains really fast and pivot. But I think one of the things that the pandemic kind of did for us last year was, and I saw this with some of the growers around here is they, you know, started doing more direct to consumer. Um, sales and we're able to kind of pivot a little bit more and it's easier to do for something like rice right because it's not um gonna go bad in two days yeah <laughs> milk is a lot harder to direct to consumer yeah. so you know thousands of gallons of milk <laughs> but like the at least with some of the crops it was easier for the growers to switch and sort of diversify their markets and i think um people saw that as well and got excited and were you know wanting to reach out and understand more about their food and where it was coming from so i think there was a lot more reception from public as well do you think that you would have maybe a possibility of like an or an aspiration i would say to probably create a youtube channel to be able to educate people about this type of stuff too so for people that probably can't visit these places on their own like for me i live in a beach town so trying to find a rice farm around here would probably take me a good long while or a good long walk i'd say to go find the nearest place that would have that like i can see fish be caught but even trying to find a meat get slaughtered i'd have to go a couple states over to where they have like the big chicken plant or something like that so like if you had a youtube channel that would just help out a bunch of people like myself that don't have this availability to be able to understand what this crop is where it comes from i mean i can watch a bbc documentary but i don't want to see some person you know with going well the pile of wobble that's sitting on the hill and i'm like all right man i already can't do it you you, you lost me when you said wobble i don't get it you know like you could i feel like you could do a way better method of at least showing people hey this is rice yeah. this is how it gets cultivated in personal interviews too i mean well, I'll be honest with you. There's actually some some um, growers that have started to do more uh, things like this. And in rice, we lucked out. We have a there's a um, rice grower around here, uh, Matt Sliger, who actually runs his own YouTube channel, and it's called Rice Farming TV. And I think they're like on a weekly basis, maybe. And yeah, he goes through the entire season. I think he's been doing it for um, maybe three to four years now. So it's like you know, a whole bank full of videos now on rice farming, and he's really good. He does a better job than I would. <laughs> I, well, I, don't don't sell yourself short, I'd say. But, uh, you know, when it comes to creating content, not only in that way, too, but, I mean, we are dancing with technology and everything like that, too. I just feel like now this education platform also has to catch up with it. You know, if we can't reach people, like have them come down and take tours and understand the rice themselves, it makes a better impact, I'd say, if we can hit them through social media and teach them the benefits, teach them these types of things, and also know the processing of how it all gets, you know, manufactured. I mean, a lot of people look at it like, oh, they see the rice in a box on a shelf made by uncle ben or something like that but it's like who's the guy that's doing that who's the person that's putting in the backbreaking work you know talking to that person getting their story or something like that because that leads up into a better understanding of like using i think the whole thing of rationalism you need to mm -hmm. learn how to ration your food properly i think people make way too much like we say excess waste and things of yeah. that sort there's got to be a way to fix that there's got to be a way to show people that just because you have all this on a plate doesn't mean you need to eat it all right now it means you can save some for later put it in a storage thing you know rice is typically pretty easy to store it's one of those like i would say it's like a prepper food you put it in your bomb shelter because it's typically never going to go bad like canned beef or not canned beef sure. but eat some <laughs> cans or foods or whatever but um it it's something that a people like i barely know anything really about rice like that's just that's probably most of the population i might know above average but most of the population doesn't understand that stuff. And most population doesn't even understand more than what's on the back of their cereal box. Like it's very, very hard to try and explain things to people because there's no wantingness to learn. And I'm like, there's gotta be a fun way to teach that to people. Yeah. And I mean, I, my personal like view on that is I totally agree with you. And I try to do, you know, I'll reach where I can. Um, but I mean, there are a lot of growers, like I mentioned, doing it now that, you know, they, there's YouTube channels, there's Instagrams. I don't, I mean, I don't know all of them, but I follow a lot of them. Um, there's the Peterson Farm Brothers. They do like, you know, 
uh, like songs basically like about farming where they take like popular songs. And I think they've been doing their their parody videos for maybe like five or six years, maybe a little longer than that. So there's a lot of growers now doing and farmers doing outreach that way. So exactly what you're saying. And I think that's a definite positive thing. Scientists like myself, we're trying to get better at it, <laughs> but I think a lot of us are, aren't necessarily that skilled with social media, but working on it. I do have my own Instagram um, and I know a few other scientists that do, maybe not as many in the, in the ag sciences, but I do know that there are more scientists trying to, you know. Is there a, is there a um, change, I would say, at least with the pandemic with like, I know a lot of people are talking about how their water was getting clearer. A lot of things were getting better when it came to the environment. Like I know in Hawaii, for instance, after 10 months of nobody really being in the ocean and experiencing the coral, you know, people being inside their house, the coral started to come back. Are you seeing any of that with like some of the water quality down there, or maybe some of the, like the, at least some of the landscape kind of coming back or bringing back to a sense of maybe like a, a calming state, I would say. I mean, I haven't noticed that necessarily around here. Ag didn't stop. Right. So everyone's still been farming and stuff because people are still eating. So, I mean, we were one of the essential sectors and we, we haven't, stop our work hasn't really changed I mean, maybe in some ways how we've had to work has changed but we haven't stopped working um so in terms of like you know farmed landscapes i haven't seen any changes maybe in terms of some of the natural landscapes around here but you know i think a lot of the changes that have been happening are related to to you know drought and other things in california yeah and so even though that's a, a like a heavy place that we produce rice i would say is are they finding ways to fix like the drought scenarios and stuff besides just spraying crops or trying the best to keep them watered? Like, has they ever thought about maybe using an artificial dome? And I know that like even saying that sounds like, well, that's futuristic, but at the same time, like I like the natural flow of things. I don't want to have a dome over my head, but if you have a better way to keep your food alive or keep this thing without praying to God, like we have to sacrifice something for the rain gods. You know what I mean? Like, is there a better way to, you know, keep it sustained where there's not that fear, that worry of, I pray that we're going to get rain one of these days yeah i mean i think in ag most of what we've been doing is trying to become more water efficient so trying to you know farm with less water um so there's tons of work being done on that i mean i don't even know um because we grow so many crops in california but a big you know i'd say a big area has been like you know using drip irrigation it doesn't really work so well in rice but drip irrigation would be a big one in like tomatoes and some of our tree crops um so that you're only watering you know where you where you planted something um but it doesn't work in all cropping systems it's a little bit hard to use um so you know doing that so basically just trying to become more water efficient having varieties that are more water efficient use less water and produce still, still as much uh, food as before um so there's a lot of research and a lot of work being done but yeah I don't, on a large scale i think it's hard to uh you know fix everything We've also got projects working on like groundwater recharge. We found that like flooding fields um, actually helps to re recharge groundwater. Um, so there's some of that, um, you know, planting trees, trees help with retaining moisture. So, you know, where you have trees, you have more rain. Um, but, you know, California's climate is, is uh, and landscape is, is not really heavily wooded, just yeah. naturally. Um, so it's, you know, I don't think there's one solution, but lots of people are working on lots of different things. Now with your research, for instance, like, is there a typical study or something that you're trying to focus on? Are you just focusing on the plant or are you talking to just the consumers or not the consumers, but the growers in general? Um, so, I mean, I work on specific projects, but um, I mean, I cover research in lots of different areas, but again, I'm working primarily in rice and primarily in weeds and rice. So lots of research focuses in that area what i'm asking is what about rice though like because i'm thinking like avenues of yeah. like are you studying the effects of gmos on rice do they have any effects if there are any effects i mean rice is like it's not like you're like making rice taste like cotton candy like they do with some grapes or something like that but there's a way of like you don't have enough water you start spraying it with a certain chemical and it helps maybe it helps it keep growing you know what i mean is there a certain research study that you're doing specifically with rice that's different that might shock me or something um, I mean, rice, we don't have any GMO rice. Um, so, you know, most of our breeding techniques are sort of traditional rice breeding or traditional breeding techniques for plants. Um, we don't have GMO rice in California or anywhere. Um, there's golden rice, but that's only in Asia. And I still am not sure if it's 
I think it is available for consumption now. Um, but that was specifically to deal with malnutrition, right? It's increased vitamin A content. So it's not, um, it really had nothing to do with farming practices. It was more to do with people and their nutrition yeah. when they eat a lot of rice. Um, but in terms of uh, GMO rice, we don't have any that we grow in the US. So most of my work is uh, um, related to management of pests, so weeds or uh, diseases or insects in rice. And then just figuring out how to sort of farm more effectively and more efficiently so that folks aren't, you know, spending a ton of money on something that doesn't work or um, increasing yields so that we're getting more rice per, per acre to feed everyone else. Um, so kind of focusing on those things is the and also in the environmental aspect of it. We, we obviously take that into account as well. Yeah. Kind of, I think a lot of when it comes to, especially if you're a farmer and you're a producer, you care a little bit more about the land than if you were just a person that's like, Oh, I'm going to plant this one plant in my backyard. It's like, okay, well that's a small step of course, but you know, if you're getting more involved into it, you have a more sense of a care, for instance, is there, for um, sure. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Actually growers, I'd say, and you know, farmers in general are probably, they probably care about the land a lot more than most people because their living is made off of the land. So, you know, they don't want to destroy the land. That's not the, the point of farming. They want to be able to farm far into the future. So what are, what are some uh, environmental impacts you would say that could easily be fixed? Cause I'm always looking at like ways to like, you know, I, I could pick up trash for sure on the side of the street, which I've done before, but I'm like, what's a better way to like easier way for people, especially like certain things that you've noticed through your work being on the ground and everything that could be fixed, you know, to help with some uh, environmental issues. Well, I think one of the things that you mentioned earlier was about food waste. And I think that, you know, on an individual level, making sure that we're not wasting food in our own houses, Americans throw away a lot of food um, and not wasting food, making sure that it's, you know, you're eating everything that you buy, or if you're not able to eat it, then compost it or use it, you know, maybe you have chickens, I have backyard chickens, I feed my chickens, food scraps and food waste. So trying to minimize food waste, I think on an individual level is one of the most important things that people can do. Yeah. What do, what do you feel about a uh, plant perception? I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like the idea that plants have feelings and all that type of yeah. stuff. Cause I look at like, for instance, my grandmom has asthma. So when we went to Hawaii, you know, it was clear air. It was like better for her to breathe. She didn't need her inhaler. And I'm like, oh, with all the pollution and all the stuff that we're really not noticing, like I live in a beach town. If I go right. into the city, I can smell like, oh, the air has changed. The quality of air has changed. But when right. I'm near the water, oh my God, it's so fresh. And it's it's just amazing salt air in your lungs. I, I look at the plants. I'm like, that's, they got to feel that too. That can't just be me. Like that can't, it's got to be harder yeah. for a plant to grow with so much air pollution as well. There's no clean air for them survive off of i mean you're not wrong there's there are definitely effects of pollution um on plant growth um i mean we saw that a little bit with uh smoke you know we have a lot of wildfires in california and so we we have seen effects of smoke on plant growth um if you know the smoke can block out the sun and make it harder for the plants to actually absorb sunlight and therefore to grow so that is, that is definitely one aspect of it but plants can also act as filters right so they actually are taking in some of those things and can filter them out so that we get fresher air. There's houseplant things that you can buy to filter your air. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, plants are essentially like, when I think about a plant, I think about it as sort of like a, like, you know, a way for us to have um, filtered air, but also for us to eat. <laughs> I mean, they, they do so much for, for all of us. I, I don't think people think about it enough. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they carbon capture, they capture all that carbon that make sugar that we then eat that other things eat that we you know eat those things so i mean essentially like plants are really the basis of of our ability to live on this planet yeah what um did the wildfires in california affect you at all because i know that was big uh, around like what was it last year when it happened yeah i mean they've affected um all of us <laughs> yeah the, i mean in the area that i live in i mean i live right next to um where the campfire happened so yes, that was that was a really big impact. That was what 2018, 2019. Um, so that was a huge effect. And then um, last year, it, it, I wasn't that near to any fires, but um, definitely the air quality was pretty awful. Did you so see like? A, did you see a shift in like uh, the change in the growth of the rice, for instance? Because I'm I'm telling you, I'm not saying plants yeah. have emotions and they write down in a diary, but I'm saying. <laughs> 
that's <laughs> got to affect that. Like there has to be some type of recognizable change of like when the air quality changed that maybe the plant lifes. Cause I mean, back yeah. in the day, like in the dinosaur periods or the colossal, whatever you want to say age, carbon was a lot more. So plants were a lot bigger. And that's like the whole thing with like carbon pollution. Everyone's talking about like the earth becoming a little bit greener or whatever it was, is becoming right. warmer out. It's all from carbon emissions as well. It's not necessarily bad for plant life, but it's pretty bad for human life. Right. Well, so, but there, there are certain, there are different types of plants that have different, um, like, I guess you could call it like air capture systems, different photosynthetic systems. So it doesn't affect all plants the same. And I'm, I'm not, I don't, this is not my area of specialty, but, but I, you know, read a lot about it. And definitely there are some plants that would do better in a high CO2 environment and some that it wouldn't really make a difference. Um, just based on how fast they can actually metabolize and process that, that carbon dioxide. Um, for rice, uh, most of the effect that we saw was from the smoke, like literally blocking off the sun. <laughs> so I, I mean, and again, this isn't measured, this is more like anecdotal, but we saw, you know, some places had a lot higher, you know, or a lot more smoke cover for a lot longer period of time. And they had um, a little bit less production in those areas, but that was literally because the sun was being blocked out for weeks. That's so mind boggling to me. Yeah. The fact that the sun was blocked by smoke where you couldn't even see through it. It was like when I saw a video of yeah. when the wildfires were happening, I saw a fire tornado. I'm like, oh my God, like this is like nobody, like some people will never know what that's like. You know, some yeah. people will never even have a, no, some people didn't even know that even happened. Like that's going to be news to some people listening. And I'm like, it's crazy to see like how, like, cause I respect the earth like heavily just because it has so much immense power i think in it and it's just like this giant thing that's giving us all life where we're kind of visitors here and not to sound like a hippie dippy or whatever but it's this aspect of like we're barely understanding it we're finding out new stuff all the time about it and it's just it, it it's just fascinating to me yeah no it is and and yeah it did actually like i mean i live in uh right like i said near where the campfire happened and uh that was a few years ago now, but yeah, it literally like looked like night for a few days. <laughs> and, and I, and I wasn't like, you know, near, right near the fire, but the smoke from the fire blocked the sun for days and there was ash raining from the sky. Um, it's pretty crazy, even when you're not right next to the fire. And I, I thankfully have not lived in an area where I was that close to a fire, but, um, you know, just being in the smoke area is pretty crazy. Yeah. I had someone, uh, talk about it before and they were talking about how like when they would walk outside they would step in like these piles of ash like the whole ground was yeah. covered in ash but it was like when you were if you see the video of somebody walking on the moon and there's that footprint that the astronauts leave there that was like walking through just there's these piles of ash and i'm like man people don't realize like that affected like everyone was like oh well i'm glad i'm not in california i'm like bro like that's more than just california man that's that's people that's getting hurt down there man like people lost their homes yeah. in mudslides people lost their homes in fires it's it's outrageous yeah. people don't understand the impacts like we've had a uh, recently off the coast of taiwan like severe tsunamis and earthquakes and things happening i'm like that's that could happen anywhere like just because you have an invisible line that divides you from a different state doesn't mean it's not yeah. going to happen where you live yeah no and it's true and like i think one of the things that people don't realize is like for for california at least and the effect of you know california and wildfires and other things that happen here um it affects the rest of the u.s we produce a lot of the food that people eat in the rest of the u.s i don't think people realize the um, amount of food that we produce in california we're like you know we produce most of the fruits and vegetables all of the nuts um a lot of the dairy um rice not so much but i mean we are a big producer of rice but i mean in terms of especially fresh fruits and vegetables we're really it uh, there's minimal production in the rest of the united states so you know the, the midwest and stuff there's a lot of wheat and, and grain crops but but in terms of fruits and veggies and stuff we we produce we're you know very very high up there and so when when there are effects here it affects everybody else and i don't think people are quite cognizant of exactly how important california is to not only like u.s agriculture but also the world well, the only reason people are looking at California now is the aspect of everybody's moving out of there, which I had a question about for you. Like, do you like that it's less people are living there? Like, does it feel like I can finally breathe without everybody stomping on top of me? Well, to be honest, like, I think they did some studies recently that it actually wasn't what people were saying. There were a lot of people moving out, but people were moving out of the Bay Area, but staying in California. 
So there have been some people, but it's not to the extent that I think people originally thought it was. Is it is it more like being living there? Is it difficult dealing with everything that's going on, like at least with the governor or whoever is running California down there? The governor? I mean, I'm not that involved in the politics side of things here. I mean, I, I think like, you know, there's been, you know, closures due to the coronavirus and all, obviously the wildfires and things, but politically I'm not, I'm not super engaged. <laughs> yeah, because I look at like, um, if I was going to run a state or something, I would be checking yeah. out all the producers that are making the things for me. Like, hey, what's going on? Is everybody okay down here? But it's very, very hard unless you're running for like a political office or point. Nobody talks to these people. Nobody gets down and like that is at least in a office state or headed for something that is going to make like legislature or something like that. Nobody ever talks to people I'm like you're fucking passing yeah. a bill of agriculture. You want to talk to someone who's involved in that rather than be like, well, it seems like a good idea. I bet it does. But did you ask the expert, the guy who's waking up every single morning and going out there and farming that stuff like you mentioned golden rice to me i have no clue what that is i know that if i go to walmart like i did today i bought mm -hmm. there was brown rice spanish rice and then there was uh rice with beans so what is golden <laughs> rice so golden rice is is not available for sale in the united states but it is a project um uh from i think it's erie so the international rice research institute in the philippines and they've been working on it for a long time, but it was basically a, a way to get vitamin A levels up in rice because a lot of the world, I think I mentioned this the last time I was here, a lot of the world gets a large amount of its calories from, from rice. Rice is uh, one of the most important like calorie foods for the world. And so they were working on getting vitamin A into rice so that people wouldn't have night blindness. Because if you don't get enough vitamin A as a child, you end up blind at night. And vitamin A is just a very important nutrient, period. Is that in carrots? <laughs> huh? Is that in carrots? It is in carrots. Yeah. So actually, um, yeah, they, they were able to, I'm, and I, I'm probably going to be wrong here on some level, but basically they were able to get um, the rice to produce beta carotene, which is converted into vitamin A. Holy crap. That's as soon as you said night blindness, I think of the commercial where they have the sunglasses you can drive with at night to help you see. And I'm like, Oh my God, I, I remember I almost bought those one time because I, I don't know if it's just because of I'm, I'm only 23. I'm not like old or anything, but yeah. I'm driving at night and I'm like, it's freaking hard to see. I don't know if it's my headlights or if it's just, I'm going blind or something like that. But like you realize, I think there was a giant push and pull here when coronavirus hit, which was vitamin D was essential. Everyone was buying supplements for it. Everybody's, I was like, <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah, yeah, I was like, so, yeah. there's, there's gotta be a way like not just vitamin D, but there's other vitamins that are essential that we need that we're just not getting on a daily basis. I know they started finding out a correlation. Uh, uh, his name's Dr. Mark Gordon. Um, he was studying uh, PTSD and depression in like uh, war veterans. And he started to find out that a lot of it was linked to their inflammatory system, that depression is actually coming from an in inflammatory response. You know, when you eat 10 donuts, for instance, it sounds good. But then after you eat it, you feel like shit. And usually when you feel bad about yourself, you get depressed. You know, these certain things act up in your body and you take that depression out or you take that anger or that feeling of low self-worth out on someone beside you, which creates more hostilities and, you know, in the society or whatever the community that you're living in. And I'm like, it all boils down to nutrition. It's very, very simple. I was like, there's got to be way like with golden rice, for instance, getting more vitamin A for a specific reason to help out with like, you know, vision uh, ideas or something of that sort. There's got to be ways to give other vitamins in rice, would you consider that ethical or are you more about I mean, they, keeping they really fortify lots of food. So, I mean, but that's not through uh, like plant breeding techniques, but lots of food is fortified. I mean, there's milk, milk has vitamin D in it. A lot of cereals and things like breakfast cereals are fortified with lots of different vitamins. So I think that's not a new concept. They've been, you know, people have been thinking about that for a long time. Thinking, thinking, let's do some doing. <laughs> no, but I mean, they, I mean, they do fortify foods already. Like, but that's like after the fact. So they put vitamins and other things into the food after it's been processed. But I think this, the vitamin A, you know, producing rice was one of the first um, ones where we actually, you know, genetically modified the plant to produce something that it normally didn't produce. But it did change the color of the rice, which is why it's called golden rice. It is golden, <laughs> not white. So it was, uh, there was a lot of controversy surrounding it. Um, 
but I think, you know, I think it's, it's not a bad thing to have vitamins available to people and foods that they normally eat. Um, and changing someone's diet is a lot harder than just adding vitamins to something that they already eat. Yeah. But there was a lot of controversy. There still is about golden rice and it's not approved, as I said, in every country to be, to be sold. Um, not approved in the U.S., not approved in Europe that I know of, um, but it's approved in a lot of countries in Asia, and, and I think there was some resistance to it at first, like from consumers, just because it looked different, but I know people, I mean, people have been eating it. I'm so. not against the idea of it. Like, I like to keep things, I think, you know, it should stay original as much as possible, but if it comes to, like, getting essential vitamins and things where you know, like, maybe your town or your city is kind of suffering from a deficiency in it, I consider it a benefit, but I, I don't consider it, I wouldn't want to change the original so much to where the original still couldn't be the same thing. I'd want to make yeah. it to where, like, if I could modify the crop, I would just make a whole new species rather than trying to change all of this one to this new one. I'm like, no, would want to keep the original there too for people that wouldn't want to you know because gmo it gets so complicated with that it gets so when people start saying genetically modified or something of that sort people go like oh my god it's going to give me a third eye i'm like no it's it's not gonna do i mean most yoga people are searching for a third eye but you're not going to get that from the chemicals in it no but uh it helps with, I mean, insects, for instance, that probably has to be the biggest thing right now, not only with, you know, yeah, there's pollution and stuff there, but I couldn't remember seeing fireflies for a very long time. I think we talked about when we last did our podcast and then with all the shutdown and lockdowns, I started seeing fireflies again. I was like, where did you guys go? Like you start to realize everybody kind of taking a step back from the environment, not being out so much, it kind of gave the earth a chance to breathe a little bit and the next thing you start seeing things come back and one of the main issues that we're trying to eliminate is the amount of insects that consume the crops that we're trying to grow i mean a large percentage still of the crop yield that we have yeah we do get a lot of crops but at the same time some are most or not most but a good amount is lost due to certain aspects of the environmental issues whether a crop dies not getting up in the water or whether insects are eating the leaves and deciding to you know kill the crop before we have a chance to harvest it true true yeah and i think like people don't necessarily um understand in that in that aspect gmos have been very important um yeah, viruses right plants have viruses that attack them and there's no way to stop those viruses like we don't have chemicals that can stop a virus like you know we get a vaccine for a virus we don't have vaccines for plants yeah. and there's no way to treat a virus there's no antiretroviral for a plant so the way that people have been able to um you know deal with viral problems uh papayas in hawaii is probably one of the best examples of it but that was through gmo techniques and that's you know so i think gmos have a place i think that they're important um bananas are another one there's another there's a banana mosaic virus that that's been attacking bananas um so that's another example of one that they've used uh, what's attacking bananas what do you mean that's that's a food i eat so i'm very protective of the foods <laughs> there's I eat. a virus that's also been attacking bananas bananas are, are clones so each banana is genetically identi- identical to the last banana so there's no genetic diversity. So if, if something gets a banana, one banana, it gets all the bananas. So they've been working on um, getting or, you know, creating a banana that is resistant to those viruses. Curious George is going to be pissed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's insane, though, because like, for instance, like we have a lot of food, I think that we all kind of understand it says organic on it, but it's probably genetically modified too. I mean, I have a five pound. Well, they, apple. I mean, so they can't, they can't genetically modify like in the way that we're thinking about. So people get freaked out about GMOs, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's, everything is essentially genetically modified. All the plants that we eat, none of them look like they did when they, they were found in the wild. Like humans have been selecting for and modifying plants over time, just by growing them right so like a banana in the wild looks it's like, like domesticating a, a plant basically it is domesticating a plant yeah so like corn for example you know teosinte like the predecessor to corn is this tiny little shrimpy little looking thing right the actual corn cob and now our corn cobs are ginormous right so i mean if you think about what they all looked like in the wild before you know we domesticated them they look nothing like they do now 
Um, yeah, I'm not a, like I, like I said. I've, I've, I mean, I studied a little bit about GMOs only because I heard so many people talk about how they're bad for you. But I'm like, I was studying what the ideal behind it was. Was the idea like I remember reading an article about Haitian mud cookies, and I was like, what the hell is a Haitian mud cookie? And it was people in Africa that were literally taking mud and making cookies out of that, and the dirt that they made. It's like 90% dirt and like 10% salt. They would take these cookies and they'd eat them, so they're eating dirt. And I'm like, oh my God, that sounds awful. And it was a, just a yeah. way to pack your stomach with something to where you wouldn't feel the need for starvation. You wouldn't feel that urge of like, oh my God, I'm dying because I'm not eating anything. It just packed your stomach full of mud. Yeah. And I was like, this is why we have GMOs to be able to grow crops in an area where there's not a lot of water. I mean, I was talking to sure. a yeah. astroecologist who's trying to grow, figure out what best plants to grow in space you know other types of things we could pick up there to start like a colony literally that's fucking crazy to me but um it's an aspect of like cactuses for instance they're the best examples because they grow in desert climates which is perfect for a place like the moon that doesn't have any well it has water now that we know but you know mars or all these dust planets and stuff like this it's trying to find what types of traits would be best suited and work together well in some other foods to figure out hey we can grow this in a place where these people are starving i think a lot of people get so closed-minded because how easily accessible food is here and it's yeah. not in other countries yeah no you're totally right and yeah no i totally agree yeah it's very hard to access food in, in a lot of places in the climate and i i agree with that and the banana example actually is one that um they was a country in east africa forget which one it was now but the scientists there are the ones that were able to genetically modify the banana and so i mean i'm not opposed to gmos i think you know it there are other issues involved maybe like i'm a weed scientist so i work with um it needs to be perfected is what the thing is it's like it's well, still kind I, of I think, in the trial stages. i mean i guess well i mean we've been growing gmo crops for a long time but like um there are you know pluses and minuses to every system Right, and every new thing that we come up with, there's some good things and there's some bad things. And so I think people sort of sometimes think of everything as being like either bad or good, yeah. <laughs> right? And it's like, no, it's not always just bad or good. Like there are shades of gray in between and like it might be good in one situation, like the papaya example that basically saved the entire papaya industry in Hawaii, otherwise it would have been wiped out, right? So there's, there's an example of like, it benefited the farmers there, people there that were growing papayas. You know, so like, and it benefits the rest of us, and that we get to eat papayas from Hawaii, right? <laughs> so, or, or the banana example, like, are we going to wipe out a whole food for uh, lots of people eat bananas all over the world? Lots of people in, um, you know, in African countries grow bananas because they grow well there, and in South America as well. So, like, that would wipe out an entire people's uh, ability to support themselves if bananas went away. Yeah. So I think like there again, there's like shades of gray and everything, and like. There's no like one answer, like GMOs are good or GMOs are bad. They're Every cause has an effect. I think a lot of people need to take into account. I think everybody looks at like, well, it's going to do this. So I'm like, yeah, but it's also, you know, if you can grow something in your state or in your country perfectly fine without really the need of GMOs, then 100% for it. But don't stop the research to try and get that affected into a plant if it's going to be grown like if you're trying to grow yeah. pineapples in a place where pineapples don't grow i mean they grow pineapples in hawaii they take 48 months but right. if you're trying to grow that in africa where someone wants to try a pineapple i see the benefit of finding gmos with that you know that's kind of like accepting like when we have beef here we're in a fish town beef is expensive so when you're getting beef either it's been brought over here that's why it's so expensive and if you find cheap ones you're like okay that's been genetically modified it's been processed somehow there's something inside of that that's why it's so cheap so I well i think i think like so beef isn't genetically but yeah but beef isn't genetically modified we, we have very few animals that are genetically modified so i mean maybe process would be a better word yeah i think you're thinking of process yeah yeah so like <laughs> even though that's process that's why it's so low but you're accepting that you understand that because that's why you're getting that for that price you're understanding like that's not from here it's processed right. meat so you're understanding that and i'm like that's yeah. just the price everybody has to understand you can't pick and choose where you're born you can pick and choose where you live when you get to a above age but some people don't have the option to travel to a whole new country so then being able to get a food 
food, even if it's genetically modified, they're kind of accepting the idea of like, okay, this doesn't naturally come here. It's like in Australia, they have a rabbit ban. They don't like rabbits over there because rabbits aren't supposed to be there. They have way too many of them there. Some dude brought them over in 1825. I'm like, same thing with fucking plants. You're bringing a plant to a whole new area. Don't be surprised if they modified it to grow here. Very true. Very true. Yeah. And I mean, things don't grow everywhere, even, you know, with all the breeding techniques that we have now, we still can't. So there's a lot of shipping involved. And like you're saying, it's hard for you guys to get beef. So I don't know where they're shipping beef from, but it's, you know, probably somewhere else in the United States. (laughs) Being able to grow a plant in an area where it's not naturally found is a benefit. Now, what I hate about it is if some person starts making rice taste like grapes, I'm like, look, you know, you're playing something you're playing devil not god you're playing devil that's not supposed to like when i walk into the store and i see the grapes that taste like cotton candy i'm like all right i get it i get it it's cool it's a it's a fun it's it's interesting i was surprised but at the same time i'm like that's not healthy that's not <laughs> that's there's something in there that's not it's good you're gonna walk down the street like, and those are all through like traditional breeding techniques that's not gmo so to that's make somebody- a grape taste like cotton no. candy it's not GMO. It's just, you know, some sort of traditional crossing. Yeah. There are scientists, like, I mean, literally we like with rice, when we do traditional breeding, I, you know, somebody, I'm not good at this, but somebody literally takes like a tiny little bit of pollen from one rice grain to, and puts it in another one. God bless that person. <laughs> God bless them. Cause that, you got to have the patience of a saint. That's like, here, I want you to organize all these pieces of rice individually. I would lose my freaking mind. I used to get upset when someone used to turn my pencils on my desk a wrong way. I was like, they need to go straight up and down. <laughs> like that would kill me, man. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm not a breeder. I'm not a plant breeder, but like I work with plant breeders and rice breeders and yeah, it's really intense work. Well, even yep. though that's intense work, you're doing an important part yourself because you're studying this type of stuff and you're looking and you're talking to these people as well. I mean, that's one of the most important things because you're not necessarily them, but you're giving them also a voice and you're also highlighting what they're doing. A lot of people wouldn't know what people go through to be able to create this food. That's my whole proponent of like, you need to go find out where your food comes from because when you make like I know a bunch of people that do farm to table type style food restaurants where they go to the market and they pick out their own food. They make a camaraderie or communication with the person that's growing it. So they Mm -hmm. understand who that person is, what they're going through every single day, because it's going to it's going to help you when it comes to your consumption values, which it it goes back to the main point of like, there is a giant consumption issue in our country. You know, we're using way too much. And I'm like talking to people. That's why I like looking at documentaries when it comes to anything that happens to do with agriculture. I'm like, I'm fascinated by it. Well, I'll just give a shout out to my grower friend again, but like rice farming TV, if anyone wants to know more about like rice production in California, he does excellent YouTube videos. I'm like he's got the whole production thing going but he doesn't like on a weekly basis and you can really see like how rice goes from you know beginning of the season all the way to the end of the season and it's actually their videos are very well done as well he's very good TikTok. if you had <laughs> hopes for what you want to accomplish in the in the next year what are one of your accomplishments you want to get done um, well, so I, you know, I work with growers, but I also work with the community. So one of the um, things that I've been kind of wanting to do and working on is putting a community garden or a place that people can get community garden plots in the, in the area that I work in. So that's probably one of my, one of my bigger like community goals. Um, from like a research standpoint, I'll just keep trucking in what I've been doing. <laughs> so if you guys ever want to come to California, catch me in a rice field. Um, but yeah, just kind of going forward with the research project I've been working on, mostly again focusing on wheat. Do you think that the community aspect, like starting a community garden, what what what, what would you say the importance you see in that is? Because I see it as like a bringing the community together a little bit too. I mean, there's a sense of hardship or, or workmanship when you can actually grow something and a sense of like a, a beneficial factor of like that feeling you get when you do grow something that a lot of people don't really know or feel like they want to experience because I feel like they don't yeah. understand what that is. Well, I think from like, um, you know, the standpoint of like seeing how how things went over the past year i think a lot of people like you were mentioning earlier did try to grow something for the first time but not everyone has access to like a space where they can grow you know i teach i teach students and i show them how to do things in pots and you know milk cartons and other things that i mean you can still grow on like a small 
scale, even in your own home or on your porch or whatever. But I think having a community garden for us would give us an opportunity to also have classes there. Um, so people could, you know, come and learn about different aspects of gardening. Um, so that's kind of why I would like to do it is so that it, we get the, you know, the garden aspect, but we can also hold classes for the community when we're allowed to again, and maybe even do nutrition classes. Part of my uh, office, other folks work on the nutrition aspect. So we like to collaborate a lot in that way. So nutrition slash gardening classes um, in like a centralized space where people can also have garden plots. I like it. And I'm going to ask you one question before <laughs> I let you go. Okay. 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 If you couldn't do rice and you had to study something else, what would it be? And if you say like, bananas, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> well, I honestly, like, um, I would probably study any crop or work in any crop. If I, could. I, I, I like agriculture. I picked this profession because I don't like sitting behind a computer all day. I know it's happened to me this year because you know circumstances beyond my control but i i really like being outside so anything that involves being outside i'd, I'd be down <laughs> okay all right but if you had to choose one crop though come on <laughs> oh no if i had to choose one other crop probably would be something tree related to be honest with you because it's very nice to work outside under shade <laughs> like like a walnut would you do a walnut sure walnuts or almonds something that has shade yeah <laughs> are almonds on trees yeah yeah almonds are on trees Learn the, something actually, new where I day. live here is, is uh, you know, the main almond growing region of, of the United States. Yeah. I did not, I didn't know that. And honestly, I'm still thinking about almond milk. Like, how do you get milk out of an almond? You just soak <laughs> it in the milk, right? That's what it is. That uh, I do not know that process, but <laughs> and all, an almond doesn't have an udder. It can't. It, you it, you have to soak it in milk. I know that's what it is. Got to be a couple of days soaked in milk or something. I feel yeah, like I, I would squishing involved. I'm not sure. I would love to be like a, a string bean farmer or something. I don't know why. I just, I, I, something I could, I, I like to snap peas. Like, what is that? I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, uh, peach, peaches or something with fruit on the tree. I wouldn't mind that either. Cause then you could like you can grab, you know. Oh, like a granny yeah. Smith apple tree. <laughs> I don't even think that those aren't natural. Those are GMO, aren't they? No, those are natural. Those are natural. Where? Granny Smith, Washington state, Oregon. Yeah, we don't grow apples really much in California because it's uh, too warm here. But yeah, up in the northern north of me. Man, North. something that good can't be natural. That's crazy. That's <laughs> I bite into it. I'm like, it's a sour apple, and they call it. They, they some people call it the garbage apple. I'm like, that's my favorite really? apple. Oh, I like things. I don't know. I like sour things. That's what I'm saying, right? <laughs> well, Whitney, it's been awesome talking to you again. Um, where can people find your Instagram page and uh, be able to look up some of your work as well? Oh, sure. So like me personally, I, I have an Instagram that's at scientist Kelly, but um, my rice group, we have, we have uh, social media as well. And ours is all at UC rice. We've got Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And I'll make sure I link it all in the description. And thank you for listening to this episode of out of the blank podcast.